What if role-playing games aren't about storytelling? What if we stop thinking about our games as collaborative attempts to create coherent narratives? What if, after all, we consider that RPGs are, at their roots, actually just games? If you say the real life is up your day is Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Welcome, rescuers. I hope that you're well, and thanks for stopping by to listen to another episode. I've been thinking a lot about the assumptions that we tend to have about role-playing games. There is one particular oft-repeated phrase that has long niggled at me, and which, if I'm honest, I'm not entirely sure is true. Or at least, I don't think it has to be true. I think it might be true only if we want it to be. You've heard it said, I'm sure. Role-playing games are a form of collaborative storytelling. What if that's not true? Would that make any difference to the way we feel at the gaming table? This is Season 5, Episode 17. What if it isn't about storytelling? Rescue! Hi, Che. My name is George, and I've been listening to your podcast for a while and really enjoying it. I listened to the Beckelheimer testimony episode this morning, and it struck me as well, maybe in some of the same ways that it struck you. Um, It's kind of funny. Recently, I've been turning back toward the OSR as well. I played when I was a kid in the 70s, so I guess I'm sort of old school myself, but I got away from that kind of gaming towards uh, games that were a lot heavier regarding the rules. But recently, I've just wanted more room for my imagination to roll around in, and I've wanted the game to be a little quicker at the table. So I've been interested in old-school essentials and swords and wizardry and astonishing swordsmen and sorcerers of Hyperborea. They're all really scratching that itch. Anyhow, uh, thank you so much for the work you do. Have a good one. Hey, Che. Um, this is uh, Rob, also known as Minion, or the other way around. Uh, just make my way back to my house so sorry for the background noise i was just listening to let's see now i was just listening to josh's um phone in in your most recent episode and uh yeah great stuff um i don't know what to add to that other than i totally feel where he's coming from and uh, i also have a uh, big interest in Swords and Wizardry, um, as well as uh, Old School Essentials and the original uh, D&D game. Um, the reason for that, I don't know, really. Um, obviously, I'm playing Advanced Dungeons and Dragons um, First Edition in preference of 5e. And I feel I'm being drawn further towards the uh, Old School um, OSR, the, the Renaissance, or whatever you would like to call it. Um, yeah, it's all very exciting. Hey, Jay, this is uh, Rob again. Sorry I got cut off. I'm still not used to these short messages. So that's pretty much what I wanted to say. Um, it's, it's lovely to hear from people um, about what inspires them to 
you know, keep up with the hobby or, and what, and to choose the system that they choose. But uh, pretty much I covered that in the uh, first uh, phone call that was cut off, but there wasn't really much more beyond that I had to uh, to add. So there you go. Anyway, cheers, man. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Two fabulous call-ins there from George and from Rob. Both of those guys are first-time callers, and that's just wonderful. I always love it when I get first-time calls. So thank you so much for calling in, guys. Brilliant. And talking about the Beckelheimer testimony last episode, um, which, yeah, really moved me and, and you know needed to go out there, I guess. I just wanted to mention as well that Rob, the second caller there, he has his own podcast now, Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy, uh, which is available on Anchor and probably rapidly populating through various other um, podcast outlets. I know it's on Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Spotify, and it's coming soon, hopefully, to Apple Podcasts. It always takes a few days for these things to sort of cycle through the system. But he's um, living in Japan, and his uh, reminiscences on top of like hearing his call in for me have been really really moving i absolutely recommend you go and check him out it's uh, such a lovely voice to listen to as well anyway i'm wittering thank you to george thank you for rob i'm going to drop one or two other call-ins throughout this episode because there are a number of great comments that i want to sort of throw in there but um i think a lot of them just stand on their own i'm not sure how much comment i'm going to give them you know i don't want to just witter on for the sake of wittering So, thank you all my callers up front, and let's get to the proper episode. I have a very distinct memory that dates back to 1989, when I first read the opening pages of the now-classic role-playing game Dungeoneer. I can remember there, in the pages of the much-loved advanced fighting fantasy rulebook, an analogy that, frankly, repulsed me. That reaction fascinated me and has hung over me, an unspoken discomfort for more than 30 years. Here's what I read. Quote, Since what you are going to be doing is very like making a fantasy movie, you will need a director. Just as in a real film, the director instructs the actors, our heroes, in their roles, sets the scene by describing what is going on around them, and then lets them get on with their heroic acting. I can vividly remember my reaction to those words. I was revolted. I felt confused. I felt as though my favourite games were being reduced to being a very cheap and tacky attempt to tell a cheesy story. And I disagreed with the analogy. Strongly. That said, I did take Dungeoneer with me to university, and I read it often. I can remember being drawn to the way in which the game was presented in a light and digestible way. I don't think I thought of it like this, but I toyed with the rules and enjoyed the light and easy way it would play. Most of all, I can remember that I really, strongly enjoyed Titan, the world in which Dungeoneer was to be set. But, all the while, I was niggled by this. As I saw it at the time, this childish analogy of playing a game as if it was making a movie. Thirty years later, and I am still deeply uncomfortable with that analogy. 
Of course, I'm very much in the minority. I know that many, many, many players and GMs around the world and over the past 30 years or more have taken to this analogy and placed it at the root of their gameplay. But I would be lying if I said that it sat well with me. When I started playing RPGs, we weren't sitting there to tell stories. We were playing a challenging and exciting game, a game in which we took on the roles of dangerous, roguish adventurers and travelled around sorting out problems. Often, we were in it for the money. The treasures of the world or universe we were playing in, of course, not real money. And we were also in it for the camaraderie. My most memorable game was the 24-hour charity game we played in which we delved the mines of Moria, that most famed underworld location in Middle-earth. We were playing with Rollmaster, largely because it felt like a proper grown-up kind of a game, and my new friends were encouraging us to play it. But mostly, we were looking for an excuse to stay up all night and play more of the game. We turned it into a sponsored charity event and got the parents to let us play around my mate Duncan's house. We had a blast, but we weren't trying to recreate some kind of imagined movie based on The Lord of the Rings. Far from it. The most memorable moment in the game is when Goriel Swiftfoot, the Shire Hobbit, leapt 60 feet into the air and decapitated the Balrog of Moria with one sweep of his short sword. Yes, I know that shouldn't have happened, but my, you know, not by the strict interpretation of the rules of Rollmaster, but it never really mattered to us until long after, when I would retell the tale and people would ask how that was possible, given Goriel's slight stature and him not having super leaping powers. What had happened, of course, is that we had over-exuberantly described the outcome from a critical hit table, a lucky high roll which said that Goriel chopped off his foe's head. Perhaps it was because we were overtired or pumped full of sugary treats, or perhaps we just didn't much care about realistic stuff back then. I can't remember anything more than this was what happened. And yes, I'm aware that I am, in this very reminiscence, telling you a story. I'm not saying that role-playing games don't produce rather wondrous and endearing stories. What I am asking is whether role-playing games are intended to create tightly plotted narratives that would be worthy of screening or publishing in the mass media. I rather strongly feel that no, that is not what role-playing games are about. Role-playing games for me are about taking on a role and playing in a game. Stories are a side effect. What if we take a moment and ditch the analogy of a movie? Or the one about RPGs as improvisational theatre? Or even the one about these games being like a novel? What if we park those notions and take a look at what RPGs actually are? In a traditional tabletop role-playing game, two or more people sit down to play. Most commonly, they sit at a table, but we can easily imagine them sitting in a circle of chairs or on the floor. Online, post-internet, we might gather around our computer screens and communicate via text, voice or video. That's not what is important. What matters is that we gather. 
Traditionally, one player is the referee of the game, the game master, dungeon master, whatever you want to call them. This person presents a scenario into which the players, each with their own character role to play, immerse themselves. The situation is described, questions are asked, decisions are made, actions are taken. Rules are used to adjudicate the moments of uncertainty. The outcomes are described, presenting a new situation, and a cycle repeats. The goal can vary widely. Originally, the players were delving ancient hallways and caves in search of treasure. Sometimes they are escorting valuables across the country. They might be exploring a region and making maps. They might be rescuing a dragon in distress. Whatever. But my point is that the goal of the game is not to tell a story. The story is what we tell each other, what we create after the fact, to help us make sense of the events we have been experiencing. This is more akin to real life than to cinema. You arrive at school long before dawn. It's dark and shadows cast by the swaying trees in front of the flat-roofed building leave the entranceway deeply obscured. As you exit the car, you can see that nobody appears to be anywhere near the building, not even evidence of a caretaker from this vantage. You grab your gear and start slowly walking towards the main doors. As you approach, you can see the slumped form of a woman lying on the reception desk, just to the left, perhaps ten yards from the outer doors. What do you want to do? I decide to fish out my access pass and swipe it in front of the reader on the wall to my right. On guard, given the unusual situation described, I decide to investigate. This could easily be the setup for a modern mystery game. In fact, it's a fair description of most mornings at my workplace, except for the slump body of a woman at reception. What's my point? Well, if this had happened in real life, then I would have made decisions. Maybe I would try to arouse her, check her pulse, or if I saw the blood spread across the floor, I'd freak out and call the police. But afterwards, that's when I would start to tell the story. And it'd be a good story, especially if I did what most people seem to do and fixate on the dramatic, gory details. Role-playing games have always been, for me, an alternative to real life. They have presented an opportunity to take on a role that is outside of either my previous experience or the realm of likelihood, given my present situation. I would not particularly want to play a game about a teacher investigating a murder at a school, especially if I had to play out the lessons and other day-to-day trivialities that I know come with that role. Give me a town thief in a medieval realm, however, and I'll investigate the murder of the schoolmistress with glee. Put me into the role of the FBI investigator, and I am up for that. Best of all, make me the bespectacled stereotype of the 1920s investigator from Whitechapel, and I will happily work the mystery, presumably all to uncover some nefarious plot of the great old ones. I play RPGs to experience situations outside of my everyday life. I play them to explore strange, fantastic worlds. I will take on the role of the hero if that is what is needed, but I am not playing them because I see myself as taking part in some form of collaborative storytelling activity in an acting class. These are games, and they have rules. There are challenges that are resolved by the role of the dice, not by the principles of yes and and all that other stuff I got taught in improv. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those approaches to spending time playing roles, 
But these are not the means by which I role-play the game. For me, telling stories just gets in the way of a good game. Hey Shay, just to tell you that I finished listening to your Arduin episode. Really great stuff, really enjoyed it. To be a bit more specific, I really enjoyed hearing about this strange other world as well as a strange other game that I had never heard much about before. So, yeah, always uh, interesting to hear about these little-known corners of the hobby, or at least little-known to me. Hey, Josh Beckelheimer here. So I just listened to your episode with Dave. Um, So I'm more of the opinion that if you have a role-playing game book that isn't a supplement or part of, you know like a campaign, something, but it's the rules and it teaches you how to play the game, it should be written as if a person that bought that book, that is their first time ever looking at a role-playing game. And um, I really do not like how games today are just based on the assumption that you know how to play a role-playing game. And I got a lot of crap for that when I criticized... uh, ICRPG for that because it just read like someone should know how to play uh, a, a role playing game, more specifically a D20 based role playing game, and I just wasn't a fan of that at all. And I'm a huge fan of kids playing, you know, D and D or other role playing games. I mean, I got my kids playing, but I'm also a fan of getting kids playing the real game. What I mean by that is. It's okay to get those games that are designed for kids when they're little. But I think once they get right around kindergarten, first grade, just get them into playing D&D or, you know, the grown-up game or whatever it is. I love Hero Kids. It helps my four-year-old understand how a role-playing game works. And we use the dice with the little dots so he can count them and he understands what's happening. I mean, but, you know, that can only last for so long because I want him to eventually enjoy the real game like I do. And I, I don't think you should, I guess, dumb down kids by making kid-only games. And, and what I mean by that is, like, I have the My Little Pony role-playing game. I bought that for my daughter, even though my daughter has been, you know, playing Swords and Wizardry and other, you know, role-playing games that, you know, that aren't designed for children. But I got it because she has other siblings on her mom's side. And I thought, you know, this would be great. She knows how to run games. Maybe she can use this and play with her little sisters. And we tested it out with um, her and um, my four-year-old son. Not good for four-year-old son. Not because it's My Little Pony. It just plays like a uh, choose-your-own-adventure And he was bored by just listening to what's going on. He preferred that hero kids. But it is great, though, to give to kids who can run it for their younger siblings or people that are wanting to try to play the game when they're little kids. Rescue! I tend to feel that storytelling gets in the way of a good game. I was attracted to the World of Darkness stuff when I first came across it in the 90s. That said, I was bemused by how to play these games that spoke of the storyteller and creating grand narratives in settings like, you know, games like Vampire and Werewolf. The greatest impact of all from White Wolf's games 
came for me from the mage line. This touched a nerve deep inside of me, and I, I have to admit I was drawn inexorably towards the world of darkness. But I've never played mage. I've only ever played a handful of single sessions of werewolf and vampire. My best attempt came from playing hunter. That was the game I could grasp, at least at first. What I've never been able to fathom is how to run narratives as games. The idea, as I understand it, is to set up a plot. A situation is presented which has a line of action that culminates in a climactic scene at the end. The story runs through various ups and downs until it arrives at the conclusion. My problem was that I was never much good at coming up with good plots. I never learned to roleplay like this, and to this day, the skill of plotting an adventure to include narrative ups and downs, good pacing and a satisfying ending, all of this eludes me. For me, trying to tell a story gets in the way of a good game. Games set up situations. From my wargaming roots, we called it a scenario. The point of the game, to my mind, is to find out what happens through the activity of playing. If I already know the outcome, what's the point of playing the game? Hopefully, you can at least understand where I'm coming from. I'm not trying to naysay or belittle those who run, play in and enjoy a damn good narrative. I just never felt that the analogies that link to movies and books and theatre were very much help. The core of my problem, I think, is that I don't see role-playing games as being bound by the same constraints as movies and books and theatre. The main constraint of those story forms is time. There is a lack of time. You have, say, two hours to tell a tale in a movie. On stage, maybe it's as much as three or four hours. A good book has a word limit. But role-playing games are open-ended. Yes, I know that each session is a time-bound and limited event, but in a traditional form, the game continues next session. As you string the sessions together, you discover that the game can go on as long as the players commit to playing it. They will have many adventures, create dozens of memories, and over time be able to share an enormous pile of stories that came out of their experiences at the gaming table. None of those stories are from real life, but they often feel more real than anything else. I love a good movie, I read a lot of stories, and I do enjoy theatre. But none of those media comes close to the experience of a role-playing game, and that's largely because the RPG doesn't have to be limited. What frustrates me is that I've allowed my role-playing game play to become time-bound. I've told myself over and over that people can't commit to an ongoing campaign and that I have to present a coherent gaming experience in just three to four hours. And I've allowed myself to make the mistake of believing that the best way to deliver that coherent gaming experience is to emulate movies, books and theatre. Playing in my Dungeons of Thal game over the past three months or so has reminded me of how I used to play we would turn up at the gaming table and the referee would present a situation. We'd ask questions, make decisions, take actions, and the referee would adjudicate those actions using the rules of the game. Afterwards, when we were talking about the game, we'd tell stories about what we'd experienced. But we didn't care about whether the game hit all the classic story beats or if the climax felt satisfying. 
We just talked about the things we cared about, like how much treasure we found or what cool magic items my fighter got. Later, in more freewheeling sci-fi worlds, we were solving problems for our patrons and enjoying the hijinks. I don't think games are about telling stories in that traditional sense. The better analogy for me was the schoolyard games I used to play with friends. We would pretend to be wizards or warriors, take on a quest, and go on a high adventure across the school playing fields. Most nights, we went over to the nearby woods and climbed trees as part of the experience. If I did this today, I would probably be accused of LARPing, playing in a live-action role-playing game. What made tabletop RPGs appealing when I was 11 or 12 was that I didn't need to get wet, it was warmer in my mate's front room, and there were funny-looking dice to decide whether Brian was dead or merely injured. Instead of capitulating to the dominant member of the group, we would sometimes get lucky because the game had rules and used random chance as spice to the action. Now, don't misunderstand. I am not knocking anyone who plays in a more narrative style. If you enjoy plotting out the story and making sure you hit all the story beats, then you go enjoy yourself. I am sure this is as valid a way to play RPGs as any. I am all for people finding their own best way to game in fantastic worlds. That said, I'm not going to pretend that I understand how you do that. For me, the story is what emerges from play. I might set up a situation and imagine two or three possible outcomes, but beyond that, I have to be honest. I want to find out what happens at the gaming table, and I'll tell you the story afterwards. Game on. Shay Roy here, listening to your Pit Rescue Ramblecast from September of last year. Really love, love this episode. Love to hear you and Colin just having this really nice conversation about these very interesting topics. At the same time, uh, I did come across something that made me cringe listening to it. Uh, as you guys were talking about empathy among players and thinking, oh, I just put out an episode about this a few weeks ago, and here you had already covered it months before. I'm reminded of um, something Jason had said previously about are we just uh, rehashing old topics. I even uh, recently subscribed to Rob C's Down in the Heap and realized that his initial topic was the same as my initial topic. (laughs) How can we keep track of all of this stuff? really makes me feel that I should do a bit more research before I post on any topic. I should at least do a search among the podcasts, see if anybody's already done an episode on a particular topic, and at least listen to that to make sure that I have uh, something new to add. I guess in this case, it might not have been that easy to find it, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Thanks, Roy, for calling in. Um, And I played one of yours earlier as well. And there's another one coming right after the end theme today as well. Crikey, three chunks of Roy. Gotta love it. Thank you for going back through the back catalogue, man, and and making those comments on the idea that we should in some way police ourselves in what we say and try and avoid repeating each other. I say pish. I think it's way too much effort to go tracking all of the many dozens of anchor podcasts now that are all kind of interconnected and interwoven in what they're saying. I just think that if you've got something to say... 
say it and uh, try not to worry about whether someone's already said it. I think it doesn't hurt to go around the themes. I don't think it in any way detracts from what we're doing. I actually think it's part of the richness of podcasting. It's, for me, a wholly new take on social media that is, well, way more entertaining than Facebook. But anyway, thanks, Roy. Game on. And that's another episode in the can. Thanks to George, Rob, Roy and Josh for their call-ins. You know what? I feel like all this feedback and sharing of thoughts, that's what makes Roleplay Rescue and all the other Anchor podcasts generally pretty compelling. Without the call-ins, the show is definitely diminished. So thank you, and please keep the call-ins coming in. Thank you once again to the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through their generosity on Patreon. At the entry level, $1 a month, these guys get access to occasional extra audio content and the stuff that gets snipped out of my Dungeon Master's Diary or other random gaming moments that I record. The money helps to pay for hosting the stuff I share on the Roleplay Rescue blog too. So if you like what I do and want to show some appreciation, you're welcome to drop by at patreon.com slash rpgrescue and join the conversation. Thank you, all of my existing patrons. You keep me inspired. Finally, thank you to you, the listener, for taking the time out of your day to listen to my witterings. I hope that I've fulfilled my core mission of encouraging you to regularly play imaginative games and to play them in a way that suits you better. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. See you again next time. Game on! February 2019, I quite enjoyed your explication of the term cheeky and some differences between British and American culture in that regard. I wonder if this is somehow related to the artful dodger. That's another term I think I'm getting right, and I think I've seen in some British writing. Uh, If you uh, ever want to work that in, some explanation as to that concept, I'd love to hear it. Sorry that it's not a very role-play related.